hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's a great pleasure to bring on the show my colleague, respected physician, Dr. Clinton Ashford, who's an obstetrician, gynecologist, uh, very well known uh, in uh, you know in the United States, and has been, I think, a real leader advocating for civil liberties and you know giving commentary on the changes that we've seen in medicine. And uh, as well as you know, in public life, and I want Dr. Ashford just to give us a few words about his background. Clinton, welcome to welcome to the McCullough Report. Well, thank you very much, Peter, and it is an extreme honor to be uh, be here with you today. Uh, and thanks to you for the uh, champion you've been for civil liberties and for trying to bring some uh, clear thinking to the medical profession. Um, I graduated from the Medical College of Georgia in 1978 and then uh, stayed in Augusta to uh, do my residency in OBGYN, taking a special interest in uh, hormone replacement therapy. therapy. I came, uh, uh, got married, and my wife and I moved to Athens, Georgia, where I've been in practice since uh, 1982. did OBGYN, both both specialties there till uh, 2006. And since that time, I'm, my practice has focused exclusively on perimenopausal menace, uh, medicine, uh, problem periods, uh, the whole issue of the PMS problems, as well as hormone replacement therapy. Um, so that's sort of a little bit of my, my background. Uh, as I think you said, a little earlier, and as as you have made note in some of your own podcasts and other uh, writings, uh, just over the relatively recent past, last uh, three years, five years, all of a sudden burst onto the scene this concept of transgenderism, almost like an ideology. I I really don't like the idea of a trans man or trans woman. I put that in quotes because I don't really think such a thing exists. Um, there, and I think it goes back to what we learned in uh, medical school. That, uh, in fact, we learned it in high school and college. College biology: a, a sex is the sex is determined at the instant of conception. There are. Um, uh, the uniting of an ovum and a, a spermatozoa, and at that instant, there are 23 chromosomes contributed to from the male and the female component. So it's a 46XX or 46XY, and it's either a boy or a girl. And everything about that individual uh, genetically is determined at the at the instant of conception. And then there's um, there's division of cells, and the little uh, uh, embryo grows, uh, of course. And then there's differentiation of tissues until probably about a month later, a heart starts beating. 
So there are heart cells, other cells that are differentiated. It's almost unbelievable, a miracle. But every single cell continues to have the genetic material that it, of the original cell. And the, the individual grows until birth. At birth, there's some three, three or four trillion cells. And a, an adult human has uh, around 30 trillion cells uh, with probably thousands of, of individual cell types. But every single one of the cells is stamped with the identical genetic material that was was there originally. And they're all either, uh, for women, um, 46XX or males, uh, 46XY. So anyway, sex is determined at the time of birth and it stays there. So there's no such thing as trans anything. So that's so a anyway, good point. Clinton, I think it's a good point. A lot of our listeners, they may not appreciate that, but every single cell in the body is either male or female and that's determined at birth. So in a man, for instance, every single cell in the, in the body of a man is actually a male cell. Not only is it a male cell, but the the Y component of each cell in the body is determining characteristics of that cell and the, the, it, its receptivity to not just uh, sex hormones, but other hormones as well. But for sure, the sex hormones, and that's what causes uh, sex, so-called uh, sexual uh, differentiation, why males develop differently at every stage than females, because the, as the cells grow and, and differentiate just in the womb and, and afterwards, uh, there's, there's uh, each cell has uh, signals that are coming from either estrogen or testosterone to grow and develop in a certain way. And so I guess the point is, as far as uh, trying to change that, uh, you, if you were to bathe human male, or uh, I should say 46XY cells in estrogen, it doesn't change the genetic makeup of the cells or the person. And it, it probably doesn't at the cellular level even completely change cellular function because as you point out, uh, XY cells have a different configuration of receptors, protein synthesis, you know, certain orientation. Um, so is it possible that that the that a woman could be born in a man's body and vice versa? Is that even possible or is that something that in a sense is, is a construct you know, created by by others yeah and this is one of the things that was uh we've talked about a little bit is this this movie matt walsh's movie what is a woman and and he interviews uh one of the genius elements of matt walsh is he just allows the transgenderists uh different ones on his movie just sort of to explain their view of it and their view of it is whether well, you have biological sex and then as far as your you have your gender identity and it, it's whatever you think you are at that moment and nobody has a right to question it which i think the genius of his movie is he lets people just say that and i think most people uh think that's wrong uh, it's in in fact it's it's just a little bit weird. It's just like you know if I think I'm 
a giraffe, you have to accept that and that's what I am or if I think I'm some something else and uh, you need to you need to conform to whatever delusion I may be having. And I think, that, um, I think that's an important point. You know, a delusion is a fixed, firm, false belief. And so it's possible that indeed these have crept up because it's not just transgenderism. Some people listening will realize that in this movement, uh, some people believe they're cats, for instance, or they believe they're an animal. So there's almost a, like a, a, a ridiculousness of of these delusions. But, but let me ask you, what is the role of puberty? So a young boy or young girl, they approach puberty. How does puberty change uh, the mind and the body? Well, I, I think I would start uh, start answering that by saying, I think nobody knows exactly. And you know, this is part of the amazing thing about uh, you know the the miracle of life is is just also so amazingly miraculous that that we're here at all. And uh, there's you know there's development from a single cell. In, into a human being and and it's just it's honestly it's uh um uh, it's a miracle i um there are changes that very specific changes that take place in that puberty age group 9 to 12 and uh you know uh, and then after it, it accelerates uh, the males develop in a certain way and the females in a in another way and it all has a purpose and uh, they, you know, it ultimately gets to the point where there, you know, there's uh, marriage and reproduction, and there's, there's a design to it. And um, it's an qu interesting question how the psychology of it all plays. We all have been through that age group. It's it's not the easiest. There are certain, um, you know, there's certain uh, stresses in our lives, and we're looking at our friends and peers and maybe you know it's it's a hard time and um one of the amazing things about this particular thing is that uh, i think when i was growing up and things i i remember as a child i don't remember any transgenders uh some different people had their different personalities but i had thousands of friends over the years so now what we're finding just in the last few years you hear that in some of these girl schools in uh uh fancy girl schools in the northeast and maybe elsewhere 30 percent of the girls are identifying as boys what this oh is unbelievable yeah so all of a sudden how do you what how can you explain this this is so uh, you know in one of your uh courageous discourse uh things you mentioned the salem witch trials and it's what i had been thinking you know, in, in the Salem witch trials, you had this odd phenomenon where some 10, 11, and 12-year-old girls were getting creeped out by some elderly ladies who were a little bit cranky and uh, in Salem, Massachusetts, and denouncing them as witches. And then some of the other girls joined in, and before you knew it, uh, instead of the, the grown-ups, telling them, hey, honey, uh, you know, 
get with it and you can't do this, uh, they um, they sort of reinforced it and took it seriously. And then human beings, uh, you know, pride have their own pride. And so the girls st kept sticking with the story. And here we are back in 1691, 1692, they uh, hung whatever it was, 20 or 21 witches. I mean, so-called witches. This is not Christianity, of course, has nothing to do with the Bible. It was all this really mass hysteria. And and I, I think this is a little bit of an element of what we're experiencing now. Yes, it has, it has elements of mass hysteria or some type of distorted, infectious uh, groupthink. You know, I've learned from uh, psychiatrists, psychologists that puberty is important because uh, there always is some uncertainty as a pre-pubertal child approaches puberty and there's a feeling of awkwardness and sometimes uh, not fitting in or because the children develop at different um, you know, rates. And when the human body goes through puberty, it's not just the physical change for the male genitalia and female genitalia and breast, but actually the mind changes. The mind changes. Mind changes. And, and so, so puberty is what creates a male mindset and creates a female mindset. So the puberty has an essential role in in individual human development. And, um, and in my view, violating that or trying to preempt puberty is fundamentally disturbing a normal process and it's going to lead to path pathology. It's gonna to lead to pathology and it's it's going to uh, by interrupting it and then reinforcing it and for sure trying to uh, augment the pathology with uh, uh, inappropriate hormone therapy and uh, the horror of sex mutilation surgery. You you condemn the person to just a a, a life of of a dysfunction, a personal dysfunction, sexual dysfunction. And on and on. It just is. It's absolutely, um, you know, nightmarish what's happening right now. Uh, I think, honestly, um, of course, the, you hear a lot about this in the news now, and the, some of the political uh, aspects with various state legislatures taking the um, taking up the the issue. Uh, I read yesterday or recently that uh, sixty eight percent of Americans. Uh, think it is inappropriate and wrong for children, for minors to be given uh, uh, puberty blockers and certainly surgery. And it's pretty amazing, honestly, given all the uh, propaganda about this. So I think people intuitively realize that there's something really wrong about this. And I think that goes for both uh, Democrats as well as Republicans. Mm. And how about in the medical community, you're in the the field of OB/GYN. You're you're senior, so I think it's probably you're probably more office-based uh, gynecology now. It sounds like you are. Uh, do you know anyone in your circles who's taken up this practice of prescribing puberty blockers and doing uh, gender change surgeries? Well, I don't know, but I can tell you, <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, organized medicine, the AMA. The American College of OBGYN, the American Academy of Pediatrics, have all 
um, joined the mass hysteria about this and um, uh, for whatever reasons, I, I think it's uh, their own peer pressure within their own groups have uh, started advocating for this. Um, so I, I, it's, you know, it's, it's shameful for the medical profession to have done, you know, to be actively harming people in this way. But Clinton, it's one thing for indoctrination, infatuation, mass hysteria in the public, but it's another thing for mature physicians, they've all been through the same training, it's very standardized, to have the medical society, American Medical Association, American Pediatric Association, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, American Board of Internal Medicine, American Board of Family Medicine, how, how can they, in a rapid sweeping change, declare you know, a new standard of practice, a new uh, approach to basically promote gender change? How can that be? Yeah, it's uh, unbelievable. But it's happened, uh, you know, it's happened before. The things that come to my mind, you know, it became, it was very stylish back in uh, the late 1700s to uh, bleed blood out of people. So here's George Washington. He just uh, finished up um, his presidency and he he got a cold and uh, he asked his doctor to come over and his doctor bled off uh, two pints of blood and he didn't get better. So, I mean, here was the president of the ex-president of the United States, famous guy, named a famous city after him. So he, so, so he called up some of his senior colleagues. They came over. I mean, this is, you can read about this. They came to Mount Vernon, said, yeah, he's not getting any better. We need to drain off four more units of blood. Oh, no. So, oh, no. so and then George Washington, shortly after there, succumbed for, after having bled off six units of blood to make him better. So this was accepted medical practice. Uh, a few years later, of course, this was rejected ultimately and is bogus. A few years later, Semmelweis, uh, this is this very interesting story uh, in, in Vienna, uh, developed the germ theory and found that, uh, yeah, the women that uh, um, were exposed to germs developed the childbirth fever and the doctors who were delivering the babies were going down to the morgue and doing autopsies on the recently deceased women and coming back up to uh, labor and delivery and delivering the babies and infecting the women. <clears throat> As a consequence, at the Vienna Hospital, maternity hospital, the mortality rate went up to 10%. <clears throat> 10%, every 10th woman who came into the Vienna hospital died. So Semmelweis had a hypothesis that maybe it had something to do with the necrotic particles that were being transferred from the uh, unfortunate women in the morgue into the women who were in labor. So uh, he, had, he started having the, uh, the obstetricians and the residents there wash their hands after doing the autopsies, uh, wash their hands in a chlorinated solution. <clears throat> the um, instantaneously, the mortality rate dropped uh, tenfold. And so Simmelweis spent the rest of his life trying to convince 
the really smart people in Berlin and Rome and London and Paris that the problem was infection and that there were germs. He was rebuffed. Here was this hick from Austria. I mean, what would he know? I mean, the, the problem had nothing to do with anything like that. It was humors and malaire and all these other things. So the, it took it took 40 years uh, until Pasteur came along in the 1880s and then Joseph Lister uh, to say, yeah, well, actually, uh, there are germs and actually uh, there is infection. So <clears throat> the medical profession has gotten way, way off track before. And then more recently in uh, the 40s, uh, there was the whole problem with, uh, you know, people were acting a little uh, out of sorts and uh, some of the neurosurgeons and neurologists felt like the problem was they could do some so-called so-called psychosurgery and uh, they started removing parts of the brain and cutting parts of the brain and this was very very fashionable and it evolved into the so-called frontal lobotomy prefrontal prefrontal lobotomies i didn't realize this until recently but the the pioneer of this pioneer uh, was a portuguese guy uh, who got the Nobel Prize for frontal lobotomy, developing the frontal lobotomy procedure in 1949. So it took a few more years and, and you know, became, um, you know, if we look back on this as just the most ridiculous, barbarous, unbelievable thing. But these were all smart people. Well, no, these are great. getting off track. No, but these are great examples of medicine because um, people can would ask the question, how could all the doctors do something? You just gave some examples of both right and wrong where the mainstream um, the mainstream medicine was in the wrong. And in the case of, of Washington, bloodletting was the wrong idea. In the case of Semmelweis, failing to wash your hands was the wrong idea. And then certainly with frontal lobotomy that was just uh, barbaric. And it's interesting, on the platform, we have Dr. Peter Bregan, uh, who's a very senior psychiatrist, and he was the one who, in a sense, brought the end to frontal lobotomy. He said it's, uh, it's barbaric, and he led the, he led the charge. And I'll give you one other example, that um, it took about 40 years from the time it was suggested and actually known and proven, at least through epidemiological principles, that smoking caused lung cancer. It took 40 years of doctors smoking, advertising cigarettes, smoking in the hospital, smoking during surgery. It took 40 years of that before doctors finally came around and said, yeah, smoking causes lung cancer. That's, that, that's, that's how bad medicine can be and be on the wrong track. And it sounds like you and I agree that this current transgender medicine would be very similar to frontal lobotomy. It's an infectious yeah. group think. It's a barbaric uh, approach. It led to disastrous outcomes, and we can see it unfolding right in front of us. Unfolding right in front of us. It's exactly the same thing. It's just it's it's, going, it's round and round the mulberry bush. And you know, there's this uh, this uh, thing I've heard. You know, you never really get out of high school. And. Uh, <laughs> You know, we're, the, 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 all these senior doctors are trying to be like the cool people, which I guess are the AMA and, and the, uh, these other senior doctors, and they're all looking at each other, and it's a self-reinforcing echo chamber. 
and and that's what's happened in the past and i think that's exactly what's happened uh that's what's happening now within the medical profession what has to happen and it was happening in salem massachusetts in 1691 1692 uh the cycle has to get broken you know after they um after they burn after they uh well they weren't burning witches in salem they were merely hanging them but <clears throat> after the 20th or so hanging the uh sort of the church elders in boston were the ones that came over over and basically you know just put a stop to it and just told them they couldn't do it anymore and you know it's just almost like breaking a spell so to speak and uh, i feel like in some ways um that's what we're living through now a lot of doctors um you know a lot of doctors in the general population are don't feel qualified necessarily to speak on the subject uh you know if you're if you're a practicing internist and and you're just not involved in this and you don't um you know it's just not part of what you're doing or you're a surgeon and you're doing appendectomies all the time you just don't want to jump put your head out uh, stick your head out and then have people criticize you and say well you're just uh you know backwards and uh you you're just sort of a fuddy-duddy you need to get with the program and i think people you know some of these um some of the large uh you know, corporate medicine practices are are doing this, and you know, people have to do what their employers say. So I, there is just a lot of a a lot of groupthink, and I think that we've been seeing this with COVID and the whole mismanagement of COVID, of course. And you've been a just a out front on that, uh, and it's wonderful. But it's it's really kind of the same thing with this, isn't it? It is. Well, you know, Clinton, we're going to take a break just for a second here for our sponsors. And we're going to pick up on the backside with um, some comments, I think probably some more constructive comments about your experience and, and proper use of hormonal therapy in gynecology. But let's take a break now for our sponsors. You're listening to The McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is The McCullough Report. I want to talk to you about an important trio of products I routinely recommend to my patients with long COVID syndrome, and that is the Healthy Cell Trio of the Immune Super Boost, Focus and Recall, and REM Sleep Supplement, all three of them. The Immune Super Boost in the morning helps charge the body with essential uh, vitamins and nutrients that help an individual fight off these frequent recurrent infections of other viruses that people get during the long COVID syndrome. The focus and recall, also taken in the morning, helps address brain fog, uh, this general difficulty in finding words, uh, irritability. Uh, it works wonderfully to help clear up some of the uh, neurological and neuropsychiatric manifestations of long COVID syndrome. And then lastly, at night, the Healthy Cell REM Sleep Supplement helps you go to sleep, stay asleep, get normal sleep architecture so the next day you wake up well rested and ready to go so again three products all work together very well in long covid post covid syndrome the immune super boost focus and recall and rem sleep supplement there are three products go to our website america out loud talk radio and click on the banner for, uh, for healthy cell to get 20 percent off your first order and you'll be ordering all three of these they'll come in three separate boxes they are utilize uh, microgel technology, 
They work very rapidly and I'm relying on them in my practice with great results. So go check out Healthy Cell. Go to America Out Loud Talk Radio and click on the banner bar for a discount on your first purchase. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Cofix RX is Povidone Iodine Nasal Spray in a 1.25% solution and a spray bottle that actually actuates the Povidone Iodine into a gentle spray into the nose in order to kill nasal pharyngeal pathogens, the viruses that cause the common cold, paramyxoviruses, other coronaviruses, adenoviruses as an example, common bacteria including uh, pneumococcus, haemophilus, staphylococcus, uh, streptococcus, all those common organisms that cause sinusitis. Uh, importantly, the uh, product is used with a spray pump up each nostril. Don't hold your head back, just in a neutral position. And there it can be used uh, about three times a day in a 24-hour period when anybody gets sick in the house. And Cofix RX is not far away. So go to cofixrx.com and in the promotional code, uh, put in out loud for a discount. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Cofix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flu, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. 
Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. We're on the backside with Dr. Clinton Ashford. He's a uh, obstetrician gynecologist who's now in the senior part of his career, so he's uh, now office-based gynecology with a focus on um, basically menstrual abnormalities and all the difficulties women have uh, with premenstrual, menstrual, uh, postmenopausal uh, symptoms. And Dr. Ashford, uh, we had a great conversation about the transgender craze, and you and I are not going to be able to fix it immediately, but it sounds like we have uh, a similar vein of thought like most Americans do, and they find it to be uh, something that's uh, clearly gone wrong in medicine. Uh, but can you can you let our, our listeners know about the proper use of hormones or where they apply? Because we've heard about puberty blockers, hormones in post-pubertal people for transgender reasons, and, and, and some may be trying to paint a broad brush against the use of, of any hormonal th- therapy in adults. Yeah, so this really is what I do all day, every day. And uh, I, I just uh, preface that by saying, you know, going back to what we said originally, in women, uh, there are, an adult woman has roughly 20, I should say 30 trillion cells. And every single one of the cells has a chromosome complement of 46XX. And every one of them has estrogen receptors and estrogen has uh, multiple purposes in terms of, as you said recently, or protein synthesis, uh, various uh, growth factors, and other ways that it it affects the cells that we just may not even know about. So around uh, age 40, women start having some decline in the output from their ovaries, and this decline from in output from the ovaries continues till their 60, maybe 65, maybe 70. And at some point in that time frame, they go through a threshold. And most women will have some uh, complaints, uh, frequently the hot flash night sweat thing, but also they can have uh, mood, depressed, can't think, can't remember, can't come up with a word, a name, or number, can't sleep, go to sleep, can't go back to sleep hair, skin, vaginal, sexual fatigue, weight gain. Honestly, there are about 25 different complaints that women may have with some declining output. Uh, So if a woman says, yeah, gee, I'm in this age group and about uh, a few months ago or six months ago, I was at work, unpleasant hot sensation, quickly subsided, woke up night, sweaty. It's a pretty good bet there's some declining output uh, from the ovaries. And so if that person has the right supplement of the estradiol, uh, those symptoms will go away. And if at the same time she says, yeah, gee, uh, this happened, hot flash thing, but then right about the same time, uh, my mood's been a problem, some of the cognition and coming up with a name, word, or number, the fog brain, cloudy thinking, uh, sleep, whatever, uh, it's a pretty good bet if it all started about the same time, then it will all go away, not always in the sense that men have insomnia. Uh, 
but so you can't blame everything on decreased output from the ovaries, but a lot of it you can. So it, the exact mechanism of why restoring the proper hormone balance in these women is unknown, other than to say that it it works uh, in women who have the complaints. So, uh, for example, here we are in 2023. The exact mechanism. In fact, anything about the mechanism of what causes the hot flash night sweat is unknown. It's unknown. All you know is that you give the estra, estradiol, it seems to correct it. And interestingly, there's the cognition thing. And uh, I've frequently made note of the fact that women in this age group uh, frequently will have this, they'll say, yeah, I have this fog brain. I can't come up with a name or word or number. And it's interesting to me that you don't hear men say that. Uh, fog, brain, I mean, fog is English language. Uh, it means something, and it's a gender neutral word, but men don't seem to say this, um, and or at least express it that way. So when women say, no, no, it's exactly right. I was fog brain, I have uh, uh, this can't, can't retrieve a name, a word, or number, you give them the estradiol, all of a sudden, clarity. So something is going on in the neurological system that the, the proper use of estradiol is helping in those women. So all of this circles back to this uh, other thing we're talking about. Just because it's giving, it's, it's, it's having specific benefits to the women because of the XX chromosome. None of this applies to a man who is under the delusion that somehow he is a woman or he's getting a certain um, sexual stimulation by uh, dressing in, in women's clothing. It's, so it, it just, it's, it's a disconnect. And to simply say, well, gee, my delusion is uh, I, I think I'm a woman, and you know, I, and therefore I should have ovarian hormones. Is is uh, well, it's delusional, and and for the medical profession to somehow endorse this and uh, uh, validate it is is a, about like um, the all the doctors that jumped on board with the whole frontal lobotomy thing, which was you know, thousands of doctors, it was considered acceptable treatment for, uh, you know, people who were having any number of psychological problems, you just do a frontal lobotomy, and they became much more manageable. So anyway, that the, there is a proper use uh, for hormone replacement therapy, 100%, it is safe, it does not cause cancer given in the proper way in the proper dose, in fact, the opposite. And women, uh, the, another thing that's been proven and show, demonstrated lately, women who are having the cognitive issues uh, have uh, uh, less, ultimately less dementia and live longer when they're when they are on, on proper doses of uh, hormone replacement therapy. So there is a role for hormone replacement therapy. It's just and, not this role that is being promoted right. by these transgender ideologues. Right. And Clinton, I, I've always thought the huge benefit is a woman is, uh, you know, a lot of my women in my practice are, are thin, they're petite, Caucasian, 
you know, high risk for osteopenia, osteoporosis. If they receive estrogen supplementation, uh, you know, early through this period, they eliminate this rapid phase of bone loss. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And Proof. so, uh, otherwise, if this happens, then uh, you, you really can't gain it back. And what we are learning now uh, in elderly uh, women, this happened in my family, there's an absolute epidemic of senior citizen hip fractures and wrist fractures um, all over America. Anybody listening to this, think about your elderly people in your, in your lives, and I guarantee hip fracture will come up in your, in your memory of, of people. It's happened in my family. It almost seems like a rite of passage. I think a lot of it is essentially just the allowance of this severe bone loss through menses, through, through the postmenopausal first few years. Yeah, 100%. Is, uh, the bone loss is uh, tremendously <clears throat> uh, slowed down, as well as the cognitive decline. I mean, you name it. In every single way, uh, well, you know, I mean, I think the medical profession, the OBGYN profession should be focused on this and and not on uh, trying to turn uh, little boys into little girls and the other way around. And right. but, but let me you ask know. you something about this, something else that, you know, the other thing about menopause and when women approach it, you know, a lot of them, you know, have a sadness. They think it's going to, you know, bring the end of of um, you know sexual activity or the you know the human enjoyment of intimacy, and what is the role of of hormonal therapy in uh, women you know enjoying to have a sex life after menopause? So uh, two two factors on that, and and it falls back to uh, the role of estrogen in the vaginal tissues. Um, so the the uh, as I mentioned earlier, estrogen serves as a so-called trophic hormone on certain tissues in the body, probably the skin, probably other places, but uh, for sure the vaginal tissues. So if um, one of the problems is with declining output, there is vaginal narrowing and uh, thinning of the vaginal skin. And of course, you know, Things hurt, so when you when things hurt, uh, you avoid them, right? I mean, if your if your shoes don't uh, if you have a certain pair of shoes don't fit, they stay in the closet. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, something's avoided, right? So, uh, but so, is, so it, is it just pain, or does also desire go down as well? So, so the estrogen, so yeah, so the the estrogen component, the estradiol, does not. Uh, seems to mainly uh, focus on on um, the actual anatomy. What the desire seems to correlate with is low dose testosterone, and and mm. I would say when women and it goes from all age groups, even from the 30s uh, on up, when women say, "Look, there's just the desire is is down," as well as uh, other aspects, their arousal and so forth. It, as that goes down, um, and women are given a small amount of appropriate testosterone in one way or the other, there are different ways of giving that, uh, it will restore desire in about two-thirds of women. Wow. Uh, so I think that may be new to a lot of our 
listeners. So testosterone. Testosterone. So testosterone so in reason- women is really the, uh, postmenopausally, or I guess sounds like through adulthood, is a major kind of driver of the sexual desire. Yes, 100%. And, and testosterone also is one of the hormones uh, that is put out by the ovaries. In fact, there's, there's uh, people think, well, testosterone men, estrogen women. Well, it's not exactly right. One, domin- one is much more dominant in the women and one in the men. And the, the, the idea used to be that testosterone simply didn't have a role in women. It was a transitional form. I think that is out of date because in women who have this complaint and you give them the right dose of testosterone all of a sudden they say wow a bat back to normal so the if you took women with the complaint of saying yeah like uh, libido is in the sub basement then uh you give them a test dose of the testosterone in the right way in the right dose usually it's an injection and within uh, a few days usually a week if they say wow uh, well i should say let me rephrase that about two-thirds of them Will say, wow, that was helpful. Back to normal, mm-hmm. uh, which is about a third of them will say, well, thanks, nice try, didn't help. In the two thirds that it helps, they will fall out into three categories. There's uh, some will I'll see them back a year later and say, well, yeah, we gave you that shot, and they'll say, yeah, thanks, and uh, got the old motor running, and I uh, haven't had a problem with that ever, you know, since. Then there's mm-hmm. another group that seem to will give two or three shots over the course of four to six months, and uh, they fall in back to the category, yeah, it hadn't, wasn't a problem after I took that. And then there's another group that uh, seemed to benefit from it. It will last a period of time, and then it will wear off, and, and it's a slightly different story, and that's where the pellets come in. And uh, so, you know, a lot of this, in fact, was developed in uh, – in Augusta, where I did my training, uh, Dr. Robert Greenblatt pioneered all this in the 1930s, uh, very much 40s. And so really the, the doctors generally, just because it, uh, he pioneered this, he pioneered a lot of the uh, basic science that went into birth control pills. So the doctors who trained in Augusta a lot of times were very aware of this and will use the pellet therapy, therapies here but and the pellets will have uh, both the estrogen and the testosterone in them now let me ask you in your practice uh, just in general uh, of women who are taking supplemental hormones what proportion is it oral and what proportion is it by pellets and is it ever mixed so the the the, the bioidentical human hormone female hormone is estradiol. So you can give estradiol by mouth. The problem with that is that it is degraded in the stomach and further degraded in the liver. So what actually gets into your bloodstream is not the bioidentical version. So so really, that's the reason that the, the actual bioidentical estradiol molecule is given either through a cream, lotion, uh, a patch, or an injection. Um, so for, or the pellet. And so, so the, you know, different people will try different things and will appeal to them. Uh, one of the, one of the problems with all of this is that when you use the bioidentical uh, molecule, uh, it's not patentable. 
it's like you can't patent H2O, for example. I mean, tap water, right? So, so therefore, there's no incentive for the pharmaceutical industry to promote it. Um, they and so and you know, so there are some products where they they have the estradiol co uh, compounded into a lotion. Yes, they're proprietary, and then the patches. Yes, some proprietary there, but in general, it's not promoted enough. I think the the uh, estradiol supplement for women who are symptomatic is extremely beneficial to them. And um, most women probably should be using it. Uh, let me say the counterpoint to that is if someone says, if an older lady says, yeah, but listen, I'm, I never had these problems. I never, I never had none of these symptoms. She doesn't need the estradiol supplement. And that's been proven. They, they seem to do just as well. But the ones who are having some complaints, yes, they tremendously benefit from the estradiol supplement. And as you said earlier, uh, it does have this wonderful effect of uh, um, alleviating uh, and forestalling the, a lot of the bone loss that some women get. So let me, in the last few minutes, let's turn our attention to uh, safety and let's address uh, the need for uh, a woman with an intact uterus. Uh, and she's, you know, postmenopausal or going through menopause. What are the issues there with uh, hormone supplementation? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. So, as far as safety, I'll mention. I'll come back to this uh, intact uterus in just just a second. Um, there was this so-called. This is another medical debacle that probably cost hundreds of thousands of women's lives. In, in the 90s, there was this so-called Women's Health Initiative, which was a multi-billion dollar study uh, uh, having to do with uh, um, testing uh, uh, estrogen replacement with women. Um, it was a poorly designed study, and one of the arms of the study was giving high doses of Premarin with, without any, um, uh, and uh, the Premarin and a, and a, and a uh, synthetic form of progesterone in very high doses. And those women in that subset had a slightly high, higher incidence of breast cancer. The women given the proper doses had in fact lower dose, lower incidence of breast cancer. The study was discontinued. There were headlines throughout the country in the year 2000, 2001, Women's Health Initiative study was discontinued because estrogen causes cancer. That particular headline got into the public mindset. Women all over the world discontinued uh, hormone replacement therapy, and there have been a statistical studies showing the the damage that was done from that Discon, you know discontinuing appropriate hormone replacement therapy caused untold damage early death in a lot of women so having said that uh, you know part of what is now totally accepted when the within the OBGYN field is that estrogen replacement therapy given early given in the right doses given in an appropriate way is safe women live longer and it does not cause cancer in fact very much the opposite but in uh, the modern in the modern treatment though 
does a woman need to give progesterone to have uterine shedding? Yes. So I was going to get to this. You know, a lot of this was started, as I say, back in the 1950s and the, the whole story about how Primarin got started. And uh, so what was happening is women would feel better when they were given Primarin, which, as you know, is a is a uh, a different type of non-bioidentical estrogen. Won't get into exactly how they make it, but uh, it it was effective in alleviating a lot of the symptoms women would have. And so they uh, they would give fairly high doses. And there was this idea, you know, if a little is good, a lot is better. And uh, when women would come back to the doctor and say, yeah, gee, you know, I'm, I'm having some uh, irregular bleeding here, which was no surprise because it was stimulating the lining of the uterus, then the treatment during the 1960s was to say, well, what we need to do is just give you more Primarin, double the dose, whatever it was. Well, uh, I forget the name of the doctor, the OBGYN doctor in uh, Chicago, who uh, sort of made an observation that a lot of these women who were getting these mega doses of Primarin started developing uh, or had a higher incidence of uterine cancer. So this doctor lowered the, um, the recommended dose of the Primarin and then added the progesterone component. With that adjustment, uh, the rate of uterine cancer in women on the hormone replacement therapy reverted to uh, significantly less than women on no hormone replacement at all. So I think, sorry for the long-winded answer, but anyway, the answer is women who even today who have an intact uterus, if they are on hormone replacement therapy with estradiol, they also have to take at least some um, some supplement with a progesterone component to balance out the estradiol. Do they have to have periods with that? Not necessarily, no. In fact, uh, <clears throat> that's one of uh, the main things that we do in our, our line of work is uh, uh, a lot of women are tired of having the periods in the first place, and we will do the endometrial ablation procedure. When you do the endometrial ablation procedure, they're just not, in our practice, they're not never going to have any periods one way or the other. Nevertheless, in women with an intact uterus, we will, we will give some progesterone in women on hormone replacement therapy. Okay. But they may not have a period with it. It must be, it must be done a different way than in the olden days. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it um, again, it, if women have um, an intact uterus with an intact lining of the uterus, which is the part that builds up and sheds and builds up and sheds, and you give them hormone replacement therapy, uh, most of them are going to continue having periods. Um, most of them are not going to like that. And say, yeah, but gee, here my my friends, my friends are wondering what I'm doing here, and I, uh, you know, uh, so that's that's the reason. A lot of times we'll do the endometrial ablation because it will stop the periods because there's nothing to bleed, there's nothing to build up. This gets into another part of our uh, my particular practice is is a lot of times these same women when they have the, the buildup of the lining and then it degrades, get re getting ready to shed, it releases a neuropeptide toxin into the blood 
then that's what triggers a lot of the, the premenstrual things, meaning the bloating, headache, mood, fatigue, food cravings. And then you have a period, say, yeah, it's period, I'm better, I feel better, my good week, and the whole thing starts over again. This is not hormonal, strictly speaking. This is coming from the degraded endometrium, releasing a neuropeptide into the bloodstream that is triggering the um, those those famous um, premenstrual symptoms. So a lot of those, you know, people talk about those premenstrual symptoms as being hormonal. Uh, they are hormonal in a sense. They're hormonal in the sense that they correlate with the hormone cycle, but they're not caused by the estradiol or the uh, the progesterone, they, they are caused by the degrading endometrium releasing a neuropeptide. The, the way we would know that is um, that if, if you were to um, remove the uterus, but not the ovaries, the premenstrual symptoms go away. Well, you haven't touched the, uh, the ovaries. And similarly, if you do the endometrial ablation procedure, Again, you don't touch anything. You don't touch anything about their hormones. They just don't have the premenstrual symptoms. Okay. Wow, this has been a fascinating discussion. Uh, Glenn, we're going to have to leave it here. We're we're getting towards the uh, very end of the uh, of the interview. But this has been really absolutely educational, eye opening. Uh, you've helped us, I think, understand. Uh, you know that there is a careful, proper, modern day application of hormonal therapy uh, for women. And it's very different than what's going on in, in what we think is, is is a distorted, hopefully it's just a fad in medicine that's a distorted group think. Uh, I want to thank you so much on behalf of America Out Loud and joining us uh, on the program. Peter, such a pleasure. And thanks very much to you and all you do for us. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report.